Hello and welcome to the first Trucking Driver podcast of 2022. I'm Dougie Rankin. And I'm Paul O'Callaghan. Paul, happy new year to you. Same to yourself, Dougie. How are you getting on over in Scotland where I'm looking out here at a fairly blustery day, biting winter cold here? It's not particularly nice. It's my 42nd birthday tomorrow. And, happy um, birthday. Thank you in advance. <laughs> well, I'll, be, I'll have passed by the time this comes out, but I was... Um, I decided to buy myself another GoPro and I've waited in all day for it to come in the post because I was going to go to the office today and it hasn't turned up. So thanks for that Royal Mail. But the excuse with everything is just, you know, COVID. Everything takes longer now because of half the countries um, having to self-isolate and is, stuff. But Is, not is that t- your Christmas, Christmas present to yourself? Uh, that was one of my presents to myself. I also mm. bought myself um, another GoPro and the run-up to Christmas. But this is a slightly older one because then I can stick it to vehicles and if it falls off... It's not as catastrophic. I'm too paranoid about sticking a Hero 10 on a suction mount to the side of a car or a lorry because uh, I don't care how good the mount is. I'm just too paranoid. Nearly £400 off the camera falls off and gets run over. So this is a Hero yeah. 7, which is about half oh. the price. So <laughs> I had a Hero 3, which I've mislaid somewhere along the way, and I keep meaning to buy another one. I just haven't got around to it. I think I must have left it in a truck somewhere, and um, it's, it's too much of a kind of a bitter memory. To actually go out and buy a new one, but I, at some stage I will have to go and buy. Uh, it's I didn't even realise they're gone up as far as Hero Seven now. Uh, well, it's it's up at ten. I mean, it's I bought it 10. for myself for main, mainly doing my my own stuff. But I have, I am going to be doing some trucking driver based YouTubing this year because I've got the editing sussed now. I can do it quite quickly, and the GoPro is quite a game changer as opposed to trying to do it on my phone, even though it's really good. So I'm going to try and get some video on the demonstrator trucks that I test over the course of the year, and I can, it's it's that easy to record with and just fire away. It's so much easier than the phone, so really pleased with that. Um, but it didn't it didn't quite come in time for the last truck I drove at the end of the year, which we'll get to in a bit. Because obviously I don't, we haven't actually caught up properly since probably a couple of weeks before Christmas. I think it was a little while ago, but I mean, I'm led to. But you were well, I know for a fact that you were flat out and run up to Christmas because I've got some of the feature copy that you've been writing, and I know you've been busy out driving as well. Uh, so do you yeah. want to do you want to run through yeah. some of the some of the trucks that you've seen and been because they're pretty iconic mm. uh, stroke very unusual vehicles there's been no kind of normal 6x2 tractor units for you no well I suppose it's fitting that I'll start with the one which is going to be on the cover of the next issue of the magazine and I think we're going to have a poster as well you can clarify that after but, we can yep uh, definitely yep yeah, that's correct uh, the Royal Centurion John M. Phillips the one that's been restored by Michael Taylor, up in in Moira, County Down, not too far from where I live here, a couple of hours. So I um, finally got up to up to see Michael, and um, although I'd seen the truck over at uh, the retro sh- show in Gaden, actually seeing it in a in an oily rag workshop, it's it it was even more impressive. You know, when you see it in in, in a line of trucks in in a truck show, it's um it's still impressive. But just seeing it there in the flesh, it's uh, I was just like a probably like just a, like a little kid again, you know, looking looking at, at it and, and being amazed. But I had a great day with with, uh, with Michael, showed me uh, all around the truck and uh, his mechanic, Andy uh, Alcorn, who did an awful lot of the work on the truck. So we went we went through it and it's it's just something else to behold. Everything about it, just from 
the murals to the chassis to the, all the stainless steel the way everything is just finished exactly like it would have been uh, back in the day and um so i just got up and uh turned the key had a, had a listen to it as well and it's interesting actually that yeah go ahead sorry no it's it's a one four three five hundred centurion yes sorry i should have said all this so it's a one four three five hundred centurion um, it went on the road in 1992. I think it might have came, maybe it came in, uh, you know, 1991 was when the Centurions came out, but it never went on the road as a standard, you know, factory Scania uh, Centurion. The minute the truck arrived, John sent it in to, uh, it got an, an awful lot of work done by a lot of different people. Um, I suppose Doug Thompson is the, the name that comes to mind. First of all, he did the did the leather interior, and then there was a load of extras down along them. You know, Dan trucks, all these big um, big hitters came in and, and did the uh, did the accessories on it. So it was it was a long time in the in the making, and I actually had the opportunity. I got John M. Phillips' number from uh, from Michael Taylor because I just thought it'd be nice just to get a few words from from John himself just to talk Absolutely, about yeah. the truck and back then. So uh, I, first time I rang. John's phone, it rang out and I thought, yeah, it's, he's probably looking at this big long plus 353 code and he's thinking it's some prince of Nigeria just that has it <laughs> in the bank for him and all, all he needs is his bank details. But uh, I tried it once more and it rang on the second the second ring, said who I was, uh, didn't have to do any explanation. He said he listens to the podcast and, and read the mag- reads the magazine. So that was nice to hear. So I suppose we'll have to give a say hello to John there and uh, had a great... Absolutely, yeah. Great, uh, great chat with him. John is still on the road. He's still working for Armstrong Steel. That's uh, I don't know, not not far off. Maybe it might be like thirty-seven years. Not far off, forty years. Uh, he's driving a Scania S six fifty. He's had a good few trucks since the um, since the one four three, and uh, he's had you know MANs and and uh, Mercedes Benz Actros Gigaspace, and he's gone kind of full circle now again. He's very happy with his the Scania six fifty. So we got a few words, and we'll have a we'll have a column from from him in the in the article as well so that was yeah. that was it Dougie that's all you've you have all that there ready ready to go we have it laid out I can tell you um we are at the time of recording we're a week before deadline uh, the magazine comes out on Friday the 21st of January uh printed on a newer better paper which my boss is probably regretting letting me do now because the cost of everything <laughs> has just gone through the roof okay. over the last year because of it, Bill, of inflation, you'll know it yourself, everyone from your petrol, your diesel, your yeah. gas, and it was all knocking on. So the price of putting magazines together has rocketed. So we're now up to like £4.50, I think. Um, but that increase was to cover the paper, and basically it's probably not even covered it <laughs> because of the way that it's gone up so much. So, um, But there's just as much content in there as there ever was. We're delighted to have that Royal Centurion in there. And a slight change from what we normally do we're putting it as a poster in the middle pages as well because it was the poster in the issue back in 1992 that it was originally in. So we're sort of emulating that and there's a little picture of the cover in there as well. So delighted with that. Um, that wasn't the only thing that you had been to seen that mo- see that month because we also sent you away to see a really unusual Volvo, um, a truck which I'm not sure there's any of these in the UK. I think the only one is possibly in Ireland. Yeah, so... The truck is a brand new Volvo FMX 540 4x4 Globetrotter uh, tractor unit. So the thing, the important thing uh, about this truck is it's not, it's that there's been 
a few there's you know Renault offer a four by four tractor unit and so do MAN you can possibly get a Scania one but these are all uh, hydraulic assist front axles they're not properly um, mechanically driven front axles so on the continent Volvo had offered uh, a left hand drive FMX 540 and this is the or sorry you know left left hand drive FMX with the four by four chassis on it but this is the first one to hit the road anywhere in the UK or Ireland and it's uh, operated by uh, Robinson Concrete. They have a couple of depots. The main one is in uh, Claudie, County Derry. So I went up there to see that truck and I was kind of intrigued as to why someone would, would buy a 4x4 uh, tractor unit because, you know, you're still with, with a 4x4, you know, it's only a two-axle unit with a with a three-axle trailer. You're still limited to... Um, to 40 tons as opposed to 44 uh, up in the, up in the north so I went up there and um, I was uh, pleasantly surprised to uh, I got lots of information on the truck and uh, the guys uh, sat down and uh, and explained exactly why they went for for that spec of a truck so again that'll be in the in the upcoming magazine I think you have that already in the layout uh, yep, that's right. That's correct as well. So, yeah, I mean that is something that we haven't seen sort of at all before. A four-wheel drive tractor unit. Did you get to go out in it, or did you get any demonstrations of what this thing could do? Because I, I know that it was specified to, to deal with some pretty specific terrain that, like a double drive I, unit, simply wouldn't be able to I, deal with. I did indeed. So, um, so there's uh, Matthew Robinson, who's a third generation of the Robinson family, took me out and. Uh, we had a he had showed me a couple of videos first of all on his phone of of what the truck was capable of and he said that when it arrived from the first day they put it through his paces in the yard and immediately they were impressed so the thing to remember here is that with a six by four tractor unit you'll if you if you have the you know diff locks cross locks engaged anyone will know that all that, that kind of truck wants to do is just go on a straight line whereas with a go ahead sorry I have a story about diff locks and pushing you straight on later okay. on in the podcast. Okay, okay. So you know just, what that I'm, just reminded me there. Yes, if it, your diff locks are engaged. Tractor units yeah, want to push exactly. straight on, which can um, work very much to your disadvantage. Exactly. You're not expecting and, it. And also, so the guys go to a lot of tight yards and farm yards, and um, maneuverability is a problem. So you can't have a big six by four tractor unit plowing ahead in a straight line. And then they said that the other problem, you know, they they do a lot of uh, taper work. They have, you know, supplying their own uh, concrete plants to make blocks as well. Plus they have uh, cement trailers, bottles and that. The problem is once the front axle goes down, you're in trouble. So the idea with the mechanical drive front axle uh, Volvo 4x4 was that they can send it anywhere and not have any problems. And um, it's, it's succeeded our expectations so far to the point that they actually have another one in order. So that's um, that's the, the FMX. I actually got to see it then uh, where they're drawing in sand from uh, from one of, one of their quarries into the batching plant. Uh, he showed me a video on the phone and it's actually very hard. When you're looking at a video, it's very hard to get a scale of, of a gradient. But when we went out in the, in the four-wheel drive and had a look at it, I couldn't believe it, how steep it was. So with a full load on the, on the tipping trailer, it just romped up where he said any of the six by two tractor units uh, are not able to get up. Like they have to send eight wheeler rigids there, obviously uh, carrying carrying a lot less than than what you can carry in a, in a four by four. 
articulated tractor unit. So that was that was it. Then again, they they have um they have some swap body systems on on the rigids, which they're trying to move away from. Drivers don't like swapping bodies, and you, you have a lot, lot of extra weight with the swap body system. So with this kind of an operation, you can just drop the tip and trailer hook onto the bottle, and away you go. And it's also important to remember that it's a live drive. So when you engage the four wheel drive system, you don't have to stop the the bottle from turning, which you will have to do with a you know with a hydraulic system. So it's there's a lot of technology there. Um, has the has the globe trotter cab on it as well. Has a fridge up in the back wall. Um, it there's a couple of things that doesn't it doesn't have uh, doesn't have an air front axle. I said the air front axle it'll be because the truck with the oh yeah would have to have the, be yeah, still yeah. It's high ground clearance on it. Yeah, anyway, exactly. It? Yeah, um, a very high ground clearance on. It. I don't know. You can get you'd need air. But yeah, so that was it. It was it, it's it's um it's something that they have been trying for a long time to get to that point, but they were adamant that they didn't want uh, a hydraulic front axle. There was a big company down here in the southeast of Ireland had uh, MAN four by four uh, tractor units pulling cement trailers, but then they had donkey engines in the trailer. Then if you put a donkey engine on the trailer, then you've, you're carrying an extra ton weight, and so it's uh, they were very very clear about about what they wanted, and it took a long time. To, uh, to get to it and Volvo have, have come up with the goods so it's um it's an interesting one fair play no, it's, it's, good. it's going to be a good issue to kick off 2022 a lot of variety in it we've also got one of the original square headlight DAF 95XF super spaces uh, in there we've got the MAN Parry to Dakar race support trucks um and a really good story behind them as well, which was written by a contributor, uh, Jamie, who's heavy into rallying and things. He gives us a good perspective on, on that. So, yeah, I'm quite uh, quite excited to get this issue out the door and onto the shelves early in 2022. So, I mean, that's... You've been, you've been away seeing those. Um, I was away, I went and presented one of the Trucking Driver Awards, I've got three to do, and I presented the Hero of Haulage Award to Karen Sutherland in December, uh, up at Inverness, which is good, I've got another two still to do, and I'll be honest with you, I've sacked them off for now, just because it's January and it's that cold, so the Trucking Driver Awards are going to appear in the magazine, sort of, probably April, May issue, uh, I think once I get all three of them done together, one of them I have to go and visit a remote Scottish island, and I kind of just don't want to turn up in the dark um, and everything. And it's just I want to go there when the weather's nice and kind of make make a nice day out of it. I'm being a bit selfish on that front, but it's What's not the that. Island? Yes, I am going to go visit Port Askeg on the Isle of Islay. We'll be visiting B. Mundell because of the winner of our Lifetime Achievement Award. It was John Curry. Um, who is still driving for the company. He's 75 on the 23rd of February and started driving in May 1968. So that's a phenomenal achievement. Really looking forward to going up there and meeting him with the weather slightly better because I'm just being selfish. <laughs> what a day. Uh, of course, um, I don't know if we mentioned it in the podcast before, but obviously the, the, well, the last time we spoke, you were doing the wood chip on day shift on the walking floors. And you were quite excited because you had arranged a European trip for, at Christmas. Um, did you manage to get away on your European trip? And how did it go? If you I did? did indeed. Yeah, I was counting down the days. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was. It, was uh, it actually went really well. I was counting down the days, and 
it was a company that I'd been out for before. So I might as well say who was Amigo International. And uh, I had the pleasure of driving uh, a new Scania 660S, which yeah. has the, the new uh, G33CM gearbox that you were speaking of uh, recently. So I was quite excited with that. Uh, brand new, well, very fresh uh, Schmitz refrigerated trailer, you know, pallet carrier, alloys, everything. Um, truck had alloys, full air suspension, coffee maker, microwave. So exactly, yeah. I was... Nice. I mean, that's that gearbox is super long gear, but it's got overdrive on it. Uh, Bob Beach has driven one because um, they've got one down down south that he, he's been driving. Um, and he he was enjoying it. It's as it kind of seamlessly goes in and out from overdrive into twelfth. Like if you're not like looking at the clocks or anything, you won't feel yeah. it doing anything. It just He's does its thing. Correct there, yeah. Um, it was a bit weird because the first time I noticed, I was just driving. It was I'd done some couple of collections out the west of Ireland, and it was you know you weren't really getting a chance to stretch your legs on a good motorway. And then um, I got onto the the motorway, then heading heading west down past Galway and, and into Limerick, and I just. Having to look down, I was like, oh, I'm only doing 1,000 RPMs, yet I'm doing 90 kilometers an hour. And then where it normally says 12th, it says OD, which presumably is overdrive. Overdose, yeah. And so that was that was quite an eye-opener, and that was the first kind of inkling I had that I was in, in that new new gearbox. And, you know, I, I did 5,300 kilometers in that truck. Good over, grief. Yeah, That's a good so run. it was a good run. Well, I went out through... Through England, and I came back through England as well. England and Wales, if you want to call it that. Well, then, now, we're now, is it two years? Two mm. years we're into Brexit now. Nearly two years into the yep. pandemic. So going through England, I mean, that, I mean, what once was commonplace, I mean, that just, talk of that now is potentially enough to strike fear into some mm. Irish lorry drivers, I would think, oh, no, no not England. How, yeah. did it, how did you get on with it? Were you Look, delivering it, stuff there or are you just transiting through? The reason I went out was because I had a drop not far from Calais and because this this was coming up to Christmas and I needed to have that delivery done on Christmas Eve, this was still the quickest way of going. So I went from, you know, down southwest of Ireland and um, didn't even go to the closest port, which w- would have been Rosslare because they don't have as, uh, as many regular sailings. I went up Dublin because they have more regular sailings and it, it meant we could kind of we, we could keep moving so basically down from from Hollyhead and down caught the Channel Tunnel um, given that it was the day before Christmas Eve very light traffic I didn't have any hold ups on the way down and because I was just doing a transit load I had my um, I had my T form already completed the company we were working for had that had that ready so once I get down to the train once you scan your T form and the paperwork has been done okay. You're on the train then. There's a television up overhead which has your reg, all the reg numbers of the drivers who were on that train. And you have either a green light or a red light. So I had the green light, so I was able to just get off the train straight down. Uh, it was only an hour, half an hour, maybe 45 minutes from where I got off in Cali and got the delivery done. I arrived there. I said I'd be there about 5 p.m. Christmas Eve. And I got there at 4.30 p.m. and made it in time. To get delivery. In. So yeah, get in there exactly. But I think from apparently from the first of January, which only a few days ago, there there are going to be more regulations. You know these regulations uh, connected with Brexit that have been put off and put on the long finger for a long time. So just not sure how it's going to go. But look, 
I didn't have any holdups and unfortunately it's still the quickest way if you have a really, really time sensitive deliveries like that, which is a kind of a rare occasion. But on this instance, that was the quickest way to go. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's fair enough then. I mean, sort of overall then, I mean, that truck, I mean, that's about as good as you can get right now in terms of like new trucks. I don't think there's anything much out there that that's... Um, you could you could want anything more from than a fully spec top six sixty with that new gearbox yeah. in it. Exactly, it'd be kind of hard yeah. to pick fault with that, I would imagine. It was it's look, they're a fine big cab uh, to live in. I'm a big fan of the the big fridge because because of the fact I was going out over Christmas, I didn't know what was going to be open or what was going to be closed with Christmas and also you know restrictions and COVID. So I filled I filled the fridge. That's quite a big fridge to fill. Um, brought a lot of meals with me because I had the microwave and yeah, it's it, it's a fine fine big cab to live in. I still maintain that the seats are, are poor in it in them. The Scania seat is, uh, is still a long way behind uh, Volvo or even DAF for that matter. For some reason, there seems to be a better passenger seat than driver seat. I don't know why. Mm. Even the even the armrest in the passenger seat are those kind of you know softer softer <laughs> uh, yeah. kind of armrests. But look at it. Uh, there's all I'll always I'm always have to. Find a few little faults, but you'd be very happy in that truck. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I I went down, you know, down Christmas Christmas Day. It was just spent driving down tr- through France. Nothing really to tell you that it was Christmas Day. A lot of traffic on the road. Mm. French people are always moving around. Probably a few less trucks. And um, I'm not sure that was it. Following day, Stephen's Day or, or Boxing Day over over um, with you. That was I spent that was another day, kind of getting across to where I was. South of Venice, but um, no, I stopped at a restaurant on the way and uh, met up with a friend of mine there and and, and had dinner and um, it was kind of once I unloaded the following day it was I reloaded straight away um, back for back for England as well so um, came back up through Mont Blanc uh, absolutely no holdups had to take a twenty four hour break south of south of Paris just in the services and then that meant I kind of put me in night shifts did a couple of deliveries down around. Um, Kent and Surrey in that area, and then kind of next morning reloaded and uh, back back home to Ireland. So it was quite a lot of driving, but it was quite good as well because there was very there was no traffic, had no holdups, and the fact that it was doing a bit of night driving as well uh, in in a, in a new truck with loads of power. Uh, what what wasn't to like, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Well, I mean, I I was um was I I had a week before Christmas and a Volvo FH sixteen seven fifty. Uh, the last podcast I did, I caught up with Chris, and I was in the middle of driving that during the week, um, and I can't remember exactly what I said on it. I've not listened back to the podcast since it came out, so if I repeat anything here, I do apologise. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did a week with the FH sixteen seven fifty, which was good because I'd done a week with the seven fifty at the start of the year. And you want to know what? At the end of it, there's nothing to choose between the two trucks. They did exactly the same fuel economy. They did seven and a half miles to the gallon over the course of the week. They're a bit thirsty. I think it's hard to make a case for it on general haulage over a 540 dual clutch. Because when I spoke to Karen Sutherland, she's got a 540 dual clutch and it does 8.7 miles to the gallon. And this one was doing 7.5, which is a substantial difference. And I don't think you would notice any difference in terms of journey times with it on that kind of normal yeah. work. I mean, having said that, it was a phenomenal bit of kit, but it was curiously under spec. It had no microwave in it. There was no coffee maker in it, which is all oh, right, because I can just run the 24-volt kettle out the middle of the dash, which I did anyway. 
and I was on night tramping, which so it was um, a bit of a weird week um, because I wasn't expecting to be night tramping. I got told that at the last minute. So um, although I can't stay up all night with being a dedicated insomniac, I, I wasn't <laughs> the best prepared for it. So I'm back out again, and well. I, Week or two, week after next, I'm back out. I've got the Scania 530S, so I've got the BBV8, which should be. Oh, really? This is one of Keltrucks demonstrators, so this should be specced to a really high level. So I'll be into, I'll, I'll be uh, having a good uh, look at the seat and seeing what I think of it. I don't remember the seat annoying me anything in the 770, oh. which was getting on for a year ago now. But I'll be interested to see how that goes on. That'll have a microwave on it, which is a total pain these days of a long-haul truck and you're tramping. doesn't have a microwave. I know that it wasn't that long ago that people were sleeping in tiny flat-roof cabs and everything like that, but the way things are these days, a microwave is exactly. essential kit as far as I'm concerned. Exactly, I, and I agree with you 100%. It's grand, lads talking about, oh, in my day and this and that. Well, it's not, well, it's not, your it's day. not those days anymore. <laughs> we're not going backwards. We're going forwards, whether you like it or not. There's a there's a shortage of drivers, and uh, you know you can't restaurant restaurants are not pulling up on the side of the road. You have to you're governed by this thing over your head telling you when you can't when you can and can't stop. So I for one like being able like being self sufficient and using up all the time I have in the day. And um, so if you're on a tight schedule, like you wake up in the morning in the park and you're in the middle of nowhere, you can turn on coffee, kind of get the day off to a good start, or you can pull in and have your, you know, make your food, uh, you know, when, when it suits you. And a lot of time, you know, restaurants are not open when you're, especially if you're doing night work and that kind of thing. They're actually not open when when you want to eat. So, therefore, microwave should be standard fitment, I think, in, in all cabs nowadays. Or else just get rid of digi-cards and all that. But uh, that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> An interesting one, actually, that one, that Scania I had, had um, the microwave was normally, so when I was in, in, the, um, in the R580 when I was doing the wood chip, that microwave took kind of time-wise about double the time to heat food compared to your your household microwave. Whereas they the do, yeah, they do take longer, and you need to have the engine now, running. Really, I find as well. I, I yeah, exactly. I always run the engine. Now the microwave in the six sixty I was driving, that was as powerful as the one in the house. Well, that's so interesting. Mm. Yeah, there was some a guy who knows a bit more about them and said to me maybe that's because it's it's a dedicated. 24 volt um, microwave and I did notice that when I was plugging in the microwave in the R580 you were, it was kind of running through an inverter um, whereas there was actually no inverter for the for the one in the 660 because I actually uh, discovered that I'd know where to charge my laptop so when I was doing a, an update for you Dougie you had to go out and uh, I, ah. I, I bought an inverter no it doesn't matter I bought an inverter in um, I wanted it for myself for my own 24 hour break I bought an inverter in Italy and uh I needed it, but anyway, going back to the original point, the the microwave was was fantastic. And just before we move on, you were talking about uh, fuel economy there. So I set the clock at zero before I left. Now I wasn't heavy at all. I was probably maximum thirty seven and a half ton. Then all the way to Italy it was thirty five, maybe after the drop on the way home twenty nine. Anyway, wasn't heavy, and it was all long motorway driving, and it did ten miles per gallon. So now I don't know if uh, you know a five forty Scania or a 500 six cylinder would have done much better than that but even at that's you know excellent yeah it was, it was quite good now and now it wasn't I, you know you can't really compare it to a truck doing you know what you're talking about they're doing um kind of english work and and heavier shorter distance and, and maybe heavier loads but nevertheless for a v8 it was quite impressive and i think they are quite happy with the fuel economy on it yeah no that is good i can verify that as well because bob 
uh, was driving a 590, uh, and they, he was getting like 10 out of that. So I'll be really mm. curious to see what this 530 does when I get it, because they're really because their AED who I'll be driving for's preferred spec is a 540. Mm. Uh, so they're kind of cu- curious to see what the V8 would do in comparison to the 540, and so am I. So uh, hopefully it's got a few kilometres on it as well. It's not like abs- it's been loosened up a little bit. Obviously it won't be fully bedded in, but... Uh, that that be an interesting one, and then obviously I do actually have Scania's own R five forty in February as well. Um, I need to. I, I really want to keep myself busy and try and like drive a probably hopefully ten demos this year if I can get a week at a time. That would be fantastic if I can manage that. Um, I need to, I, I need to keep earning as well because my ramp broke at my garage, which cost six hundred pound to get the nuts replaced on the two post lift. We got that done on Christmas Eve, and also I've got a tax bill courtesy of Nicola Sturgeon and our delightful government, <laughs> who tax people in Scotland far more heavily than any other part of the UK. So, I uh, thanks for that. Uh, so Lovely. I need to keep I need to keep out doing my driving as well. Although I do keep buying myself GoPros, which I suppose is a bit of a luxury item. But what? I'm not getting I'm not getting work to pay for them either. They're mine, you know. I probably could One get work to pay. Probably could get work to pay for them actually, and just like you know, keep them for myself. <laughs> it's all it's all fun anyway, isn't it? It, it is, aye. So I mean, it looks like I mean, January is always a pretty grim sort of start to the start. January is always pretty grim, you know, especially in the last couple of years since we've had like sort of various COVID restrictions in parts of the country, which don't affect lorry drivers all that much because we just keep going anyway and have done right the way through this. Um, it doesn't really matter what they're going sort of lockdown one way or lockdown the other. So I'm looking forward to getting back out again. Um, especially that will be the nights will just have started to draw out just a tiny bit by then, uh, which I always like. Once you get to like five o'clock and it's not completely dark, I always feel a bit better about things. What's your what's your next trip trip away? Are you going away again I've, soon, or are you just yeah. back on the sort of regular day shift stuff? No, I'm. I think I, I spent three months on the day shift, so I'm, I'm going to try and um, while the we're still in the in the depths of winter, I'm going to try and do a couple more trips. So I'm actually just waiting now. I'm going to head off on Saturday to Spain. Don't know exactly where yet, but uh, I'm heading off for a company. I was out. It's I think I was out for last. Sometime last year, um, so that'll be uh, load of load of meat again. Uh, it'll be a Scania, uh, and I'll either be so when I went out last time, we shipped out directly from Rosslare to Bilbao, which was quite rough during the winter time because you're going across the Bay of Biscay. So I hear that there's quite some quite rough weather on the way. That boat is off at the moment, so I'll either be going on. There's a new crossing there from Rosslare to La Havre, or alternatively crossing from Dublin to Sherbrooke so that's where, where we're off That'll to yeah looking for looking forward to that I really really enjoyed the trip out in the 660 to Italy and um, I was quite just anxious to go out and do some long kilometers after the all the, the local work at home so when I got back and uh, things were a little bit quiet over Christmas and uh, there's obviously a regular driver on that truck and um, they didn't didn't have another trip for me to go so I'm um, I'm going for another company now. They seem to be quite busy, and another guy actually rang today. He had a he had a load to Italy, but you kind of suppose you whoever you give the commitment to first, that's that's who you go with. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm doing, Dougie. Looking forward to uh, to heading off. I've just um, it's nice to get a little bit of time to you know do a bit of 
kind of tricking around, I've just finished off writing an article for you on a Volvo F816 750. Excellent, thank you. Yeah, I think I spoke about this a long time ago on the podcast and... We did, it's one of those ones that's been um, yeah, kind of hanging, kind of it's been elusive. held back. There's been a few of those in 2021, but thankfully we're getting them all in the yeah. bag now in 2022. Yeah, that's an absolute like, cracking lorry. That's a wagon and drag livestock outfit, a 750. Yeah. White and white and green seven fifty with the uh, bulbar bulbar trident setup, CB spotlights, everything, all the bells and whistles on it. So, yes, great. We've got some fantastic variety uh, coming mm. through in the magazine. All sorts of different shapes and sizes of trucks from one to the other. I actually had a, I got an email from uh, an old fella who was like not renewing his subscription, and they said to us in the email, "I said all you do is feature trucks that are just covered in bling," and I was a bit. Had to go into one of those emails and explain to him how that's simply not the oh. case at the time. I was like, well, what about this bin wagon that was, was in last just, week? Or I this, was just going to mention or this, that. Or this, or this eight-wheeler tipper, or this or this rigid daft six-wheeler with a muffet hanging off the back. Or we had the Owens MANs with the grey bumpers on them. And yeah, these old our, tru- the, the old trucks as well, you know, Mike Sharpley's Foden 4455. Right. Uh, Moody's like, Iveco S-Wiz, just yeah, pretty fans, you know. Like, you can so, only feature... What what you can what you're aware of or what comes in comes into your into your uh, into the inbox or things like that. What we find out about you know because we will feature as big a variety of trucks as possible. You know, I like I, I like featuring fleet trucks, bin wagons, tippers. Mm. We've got a skip wagon fleet coming up as well. Anything to do with trucks, we will feature it as long as there's a good story in there. Um, I agree, and I actually had a conversation with someone the other day. They were saying that even on the classic scene, that there's everybody wants a one four three, and there's nobody, you know, restoring really a, like a Scania ninety two M, and it's the same with the Volvos. You don't get the FLs and the DAFs and the little ones, and which which is quite true. And you know, at the end of the day, when back in in that era, you know, it's it's more the fleet trucks that were the common ones, and like very few people had a one four two, very few people yeah. had an F sixteen or a big. But the important thing to remember is. Uh, and my point was that they they were the, the aspirational trucks, you know, the big Mercedes, the, you know, the 1850 Euro cabs and the 143s and um, the F16s. They were the, they were the aspirational trucks and they were the trucks mm-hmm. that we all wanted. So it's only kind of now that guys are getting to a certain age and they maybe have, have a few quid spare and they're not going to go out and buy, you know, the 113, 320 that they drove. They're going to, they, they want to drive and go out and buy the one that they could never get that their boss wouldn't buy them or they couldn't afford back then. So it's trucks kind of, exactly. nice, you know, trucks have to be aspirational as well. And I'm sure if you had a magazine well, full of, yeah. uh, you know, fleet trucks, I don't really know if people would be that interested either. So it's just nice to get a little balance, I think. Aye, well, we'll have got, I've got a 93 in stock coming up um, and we've got some we've got some other interesting older trucks I do actually have the first one since I've been editor I've got an Atkinson Borderer going in the March issue no. which has got a good story <laughs> behind it which is kind of like that was always kind of my limitation I was like, mm, that's just too old school but there's a good story to this one and it comes with a trailer and everything as well which I think a lot of the times are classic if it's got a matching trailer outfit you know that can really make the truck it looks amazing and, and things the Borderer is quite an iconic looking truck even I know you it know, is iconic. It is like the yeah. the definitive British uh, yeah. truck, you know, from from that from that era. You know, I, I remember yeah. in twenty nineteen, my girlfriend at the time, I got her to sit in an Atkinson Border, and I was like, "This truck is from nineteen seventy five. 
And obviously, I've been Scandinavians. Like, what the hell? This truck looks like it's from 1925. And that's exactly that's exactly what I was going to think. Like, if you didn't know about any other trucks, British trucks from bygone eras, you'll surely know about the Atkinson Border. Oh, oh yeah, up, lad. But um, 1975. Uh, wow, it just goes to show, you know how kind of they were get, they were getting left behind by the by the European brands at that absolutely stage. i was speaking of europeans because i had a conversation with you because we were looking for what is definite what has definitely become an iconic truck i think definitely a cult classic and that's manf 2000 roadhouse because yeah. bob was looking for one to do an article in commercial motor because it's man's anniversary of some sort this year I don't know if it's to do with them officially being in the UK, something like that. Okay. But they were looking for an F2000 Roadhouse, and I couldn't... Th- and I was like, the only one that I can think of, I'd seen it full of the pipe. And, of course, I sent the pictures to you, and you've since found the owner. Um, yes. Now, took a little bit of research just to get the... I knew I had to kind of message a couple of guys before I got the number, so well, I sent the number to Bob the other day, and I said, you might be looking for this. I think he said he may have found one in, in Funnily England, enough... We've found one in England which is very similar. It's a tea plate, a 1999 okay. model, another great roadhouse. And apparently AP Hollingworth have got a 150 tonner as well. But I put a picture up on the internet this week of a pink one that was in Truck and Driver in like 1995. And the reaction people have towards these trucks is phenomenal. Uh, the roadhouse is such a well-regarded, fondly remembered truck. There's a lot of nostalgia and interest in them. And I was thinking, if you put a picture up of a TGA... Even if it was a top spec, five star one, whatever, nobody would care. They wouldn't be particularly interested in it. And I don't think even if you rolled it on another 10 years, people would be. But they're crazy for the roadhouse. So if you don't mind, if you're up for it, I would like you to go and feature that one that you found in Ireland for Truck and Driver, if you can do it at your convenience. Of course. Because I would like to get one of them in the, I'd like to get one or two of them in the magazine. Um, it's not a truck it's a truck I remember seeing on the road but by the time I'd started driving they'd all vanished it was TGAs that were getting a bit well they kind of burned out and faded away quickly Do you, have you driven one been in one experienced one at all a TGA or a roadhouse a roadhouse an, well an F2000 even a flat top um, one I guess that's a good question actually no I have very very little experience uh, with them but uh, I've, I've driven a uh, man before and I remember them being been very smooth and I you know I was in a roadhouse I think I spoke about that in the last podcast when I was nervously waiting to get onto the ferry on my first trip down uh, heading for heading across from Dover to uh, to Calais and I got into one there because I'd never set into one before and I couldn't believe how much space there was inside especially up top and also the fact that it was a relatively kind of a flat floor as well compared to um, if you were going in a flat top Scania yeah. back then uh, I mean, I'm really intrigued by them now because I, a few people have sent me pictures of them as well, just out the blue, you know, just, oh, this was a truck that we had 20 years ago and I've kept the pictures because we loved it. 460 horsepower engine mm. back then, which is a fair amount, it was a fair amount of grunt in the mid-90s. That was a that was a substantial bit of power. So I'm kind of curious, I'm gonna go and, I want to go and have a shot in one now and have a good poke and a prod and a look about one and everything. <laughs> so yeah, if Bob's going to wait to do some feature and run for commercial motor, I might just go and attach myself to it and go and get a look at the same time if I possibly can. So to round up, we've got five minutes left. Um, now, I remember you'd spoken, but the, the last time you were on, we were doing some stories. You were telling us about your first uh, experiences uh, truck driving, the first stuff that you drove. Yes. 
And you said at the start before we went on air, you said if you've got any time left, I've got a, I've got another story relating to that, and we have got just what? enough time left for you to squeeze this story in, whatever it okay. may be. Okay, well you're, you're going to have to stop me now if I run over time. But uh, no, I was uh, that was my first trip, and that was the only trip I did for that company because I said they um, they wound up their continental operation, but I went. Um, I suppose I'd kind of move on. Then I did a couple of trips out to uh, to Germany, which weren't really that memorable. That was for another company, and then finally uh, I ended up at, with uh, Caffrey International in Ashburn, where I stayed for probably about two and a half years, and and had some great memories from that time. But I remember my first trip out was in uh, nineteen ninety seven Scania one thirteen three sixty streamlined flat roof. So it was quite rare that it was a ninety seven. You know, the last of the three series was mm. about ninety six. So um, that was uh, I shipped out from uh, Dublin. To, to Liverpool and I actually picked up I swapped over with another driver in the port in in, uh, in Dublin P&O and I always remember uh, I couldn't get the truck to move and I thought like I've, I've done everything I can you know of the handbrake off and eventually one of the shunters came that manual? Yeah oh mm. manual yeah Scania 113 I'd done I just, just got checking. out of a brand new I just yeah I just got out of a brand new um, I was only driving for a day a brand new uh, Volvo Globetrotter yeah, actually, it was a 460 Globetrotter. I was only driving it for a day. Beautiful truck. Anyway, couldn't get it to move. One of the shunters came over, and what what they what they what was fitted in the truck was a little um, underneath where the the handbrake is. There was a little air, a little button which released the air. It was like a kind of a safety device or a security device, which I didn't know about. Um, so Why, it was a retro, retrofit. Exactly. Yeah, it's dark. So I was oh, kind of retrofit. panicking. Oh. Yeah, I was kind of panicking, and I uh, didn't. So eventually, I got on to the. Not the ferry, but anyway, I was heading for uh, Paris. That was my first trip. So we down through uh, Liverpool, down through, down through England. And I think we got the train across, and then we had to wait in Transmark in Calais because this would have been on a Sunday. And the French driving ban, which goes from, I think it was a ten p.m. Saturday night until ten p.m. Sunday night. So we'd be there about six o'clock in the evening. Um, we'd have to wait at the uh, wait at the truck stop until the until the ban was finished because we didn't have we had dry goods. I'm not sure if I had a you know, maybe a box fan or something that time or a curtain cider. But anyway, I was supposed to meet another guy in the truck stop. He was doing, uh, he had a, a mega space uh, Mercedes. He was a subcontractor. And yeah, he'll meet you there and show you the way. Because we were going right into, uh, not too far from Rungis in Paris. It was Orly was the area just south of south of Paris. And you hear all these horror stories about Paris and uh, lads getting into awful sorts of handlings and difficulty there. So I was kind of... Really nervous now to say the least, and um, when it was time to go, anyway, maybe he went tried to go to sleep for an hour or two, probably didn't, and woke up, and uh, oh, he was gone. There was no one there, so I was like, okay, oh great, so <laughs> headed off. And again, this is you know no no sat navs or anything. You just had the little green Michelin map. It was like Banlieu de Paris. I think it must stand for like in French, it's, it was the the outskirts of Paris or the surround Paris and its surrounds. I'm not sure exactly, but. Um, I remember, uh, I think it was going down, and you've got in Paris, you've got three running roads. You've got the inner one, which is the Paris Freak, which is the one which is like danger, you know, people get into all sorts of hassle there. It's not something yeah. I've ever driven even in a car as round Paris. Yeah. What is it, what's it like in a truck? Uh, I take it you've no, got, it's, you're right, it's, you're better off in a truck, would you say, because you've got, you can just bully people. Yeah, a bit you more. just, you, you just, ha- exactly, you have to just kind of drive as, as the Parisians do, and you can't be anywhere timid at all, and, and you just have to sort of bull your way around and don't. People are not going to wait and let you out. You have to sort of make your own bit of space. But obviously, you know, that comes with, <laughs> with its own sort of uh, dangers as well. And it's uh, 
it's quite nerve-wracking you know it's kind of like okay radio off uh lit window down a little bit full concentration here and um so then you've got the power freak then you've got the 86 and then you've got the 104 which are you know ring roads one is kind of further out than the other but i remember um coming down the uh the 86 and uh i think it was onto the power freak and the uh next thing you see ferme up in front of you which is ferme closed road closed i was like oh this is it you know and it takes you up this slip road and you're heading up kind of heading in for in for uh centerville and of course you just this stage you're like you know sheer sheer panic like this is all the stories i've heard about in paris and lads getting lost and it's this is it it's it's finally it's finally happened why couldn't the road have just been open just to let me down to do my first trip ever to paris and uh and get the delivery done but um i don't know i can't remember something i set of traffic lights probably screwed around in the middle of the road where i wasn't supposed to but finally got my way back down onto the road i should have been on and uh, i'll never forget the relief of just getting to the delivery point um where I was supposed to, you know, we weren't going to unload until the next um, day, but it was a big industrial How area. old were you at this time? At 22. Yeah, so I was just kind of... Greenhorn and just a, yeah. just, just, just <laughs> a lad, yeah. But anyways, it was all it was all great, great experiences. And I suppose, look, at, I mean, road closures and that are just, just common. But it's you, the problem is, you see, you hear all these stories and there's lads, you listen to all these stories, lads telling you, oh, geez, if you get... If you go off, if the road is closed there, you always, you'll end up in the middle, you'll end, you'll end up under the Eiffel Tower and you'll end up in the Champs. <laughs> you know, you're listening to all these things and you don't really know because you've no experience. So, but uh, no, I got it, got it done anyway. And um, I'm not sure, I can't even remember. I was just so glad when we were going to bed there that night. And, and then the next week, uh, the next trip, then the following week then was, uh, was Switzerland. But there was uh, three of us going there and um, we had to go and do, I was in, I was in the 113 again. There was a guy called George McBride from Ballycastle. Great, great old fella, he kind of took me under his wing, and then uh, Philip Downey, he was in a in a ninety seven one two four three sixty, and of course we had because Switzerland is not in the EU, we had to go in and do customs in uh, in Basel or Basel, however you want to pronounce it, and George was leading the way again. Of course, no sat now, we got lost, like we kind of lost each other, lost each other in around the city, wandering around, you know, with traffic lights. Eventually, eventually got the um, found found a way to go and do customs, and then we tip, we unloaded somewhere. Um, can't remember exactly but uh the thing i remember i distinctly i remember about switzerland was the fact that uh it's it's not really a very truck friendly country and wherever i went for the backload i ended up um trying to get parked somewhere for the night there's very little park in there i was in some little kind of town and i and i ended up uh i said i'll just drive up this little road here and see if i can get parked somewhere and i ended up driving up kind of almost like the side of a mountain with like big kind of stone walls inside. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I couldn't, I couldn't turn around. I was just like, you know, heartbeat racing. On that. Oh yeah. No, oh, I, again, thinking, oh, this is it now. This is it again. I was, uh, you know, visions of cranes and all sorts of things. And uh, I've, I've never liked Switzerland ever since. I think I, I did manage to get, uh, to get turned around somewhere. And I think I just drove back down into the town and parked on the main street. <laughs> or something went to try to go to sleep like but uh, no that, that was you know it was all just kind of little things that that uh stick out in your memories but of course now you know you have uh it's it's a lot easier you, even if you don't use satellite well okay then you have google maps and you can um you know i often use the satellite images and you can kind of look and see yeah maybe i shouldn't go down there or no actually no it's fine i can go down there there's plenty of parking you know so that was um that's just a couple of a couple of little stories there i'll have a few more for you um the next day just a couple to, to round off for yeah, our podcast Dougie. 
We do, we like those European anecdotes and all that, maybe going to inspire some people or otherwise <laughs> to consider consider getting into it or perhaps send some of your European stories over to us. Now, that's been great, lovely way to kick off the podcast for 2022. I'm going to try and um, get an episode out every week, if not more often, you know. I'm trying to nail down Mr Madison as well at the same time to get a hold of him to see what he's been up to. So... Hopefully we'll have plenty of content coming your way. As I say, the magazine that's on sale at the moment has got some great stuff in it. It comes with a free 2022 wall planner and you also have the opportunity to win up to £5,000 worth of free kit for your truck, courtesy of Roadchef. So please do pick up a copy if you see it. Uh, There's some great content, some free stuff and the opportunity to win anything that you want for your truck pretty much. I think you might struggle to spend an entire five grand worth on it. Paul, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy your next trip away and whatever fancy Scania is and I shall catch up with you again on your return pleasure as always Dougie we'll chat to you soon cool take care cheers bye bye all the best out chat it bye thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver podcast please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode to keep up to date with the latest news 100% for drivers visit truckanddriver.co.uk where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month. The Truck and Driver podcast is produced by Sound Rebel. To find out more, please visit soundrebel.co.uk.